Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Healthy Perspectives podcast. Thanks for joining us for today's journey, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for giving us your time again. Today's topic is on schools. This is a uh, pretty common topic these days. I'm hearing it more and more, and I thought I would take a clinical look at schools. Uh, I definitely want to hit a few uh, elements to this. One, I want to hit the homeschool, private school, public school conversation. Another is I want to hit what's going on in each of them that I am aware of that affects clinical work. For instance, SEL. So what's going on that affects the students, the families in their decision-making process. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and start with public schools. I was a public school kid, and I'm grateful for the education that I got. I came across some really incredible teachers uh, along the way. Uh, I think it was a fantastic experience for me as a whole, and I know that now it's not the same as it was when I was a kid. I want to paint real quick what I see as happening in the public schools as of right now. Now, understand this is a a more narrow view. This is me seeing it through the clinical lens. So for those of you who aren't aware, that, that means that people have come and sat on my couch and they've talked to me about things that are going on in their school or things that their kids are facing. And that's the lens in which I'm getting some of my perspective. So it's by no means going to cover the entire gamut of options. So in the public schools, what I think is happening that impacts students and families the most is the idea of, um, so originally it was morals being taken out of the school, but now it's being uh, sort of thrust into them. How... We can't have our own opinion if it differs from the opinion of others. The idea that they're trying to put all of the kids in the same boat. Now, in theory, I like the idea of us working together. I like that. But when we take away the autonomy to be unique, and unique in this situation, what I'm saying is unique against the cultural narrative. And the cultural narratives right now are very interesting and very narrow. They are pointing at the minority of the students, not minority as in their color, their gender, or stuff like that, but the minority, meaning not the mass. So it used to be along these lines. 80% of the students are going to be able to just go through normal. They don't require a whole lot of extra time and attention because they're meeting the criteria, they're staying out of trouble, and so it goes. Now, a lot of attention is going to niche groups. So it used to be 80% with 10% being usually the disciplinary problems, people who act out, stuff like that, and the 10% of elite, those who show excellence in performance and abilities beyond what would be normally expected. And they, those two ends would get those two ends would get a lot of attention. And the middle would just go through the motions. Now we've got niche groups getting lots of attention. 
And they're not necessarily extremes in the sense of academic success or academic failure, behavioral success or behavioral failure. They're, they're niche groups. They are, uh, you know, we can say like the gender identity stuff that's going on with critical race theory. We can say uh, if you are an underserved population in a specific school, then you demand more attention because the school is worried and concerned about how that would look. Now, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm not talking about right or wrong. I'm talking about what I hear. And what that does is does that 80% that's in the middle is feeling very neglected. Well, it happens to be the majority of the kids. And I think what's happening possibly is that when you have a such a massive amount being neglected and being neglected, not because they're in the middle of the pack, but because there's so much time, energy, and resources going to a niche cause, a niche group, it's causing this, this family uproar of, well, hold on. So if my kid was in this other niche group, you're telling me they would get more attention. And the schools are like, no, no, no. Well, yes, actually, we are telling you that. And the problem there is parents don't want their child to be marginalized. Were they marginalized you know, 25 years ago when I was in school? Probably. I was probably one of the marginalized kids, to be honest. I didn't demand a lot of attention. I was a behavioral issue early on, but then I wasn't. I wasn't, you know, an A-plus student because I never worked that hard until I got to college. Then I started working hard. It's just my maturity wasn't there. And so as a result, I was probably in that 80% in the middle, just going through the motions. And that worked fine for me. It wasn't really an issue. But for some people, it was. And we even saw it as I was growing up with alternative options becoming more common. Well, I think now we got to look at those alternative options because if it's happening even more so today than it was 25 years ago, what are those alternative options? The alternative options are these, private schools or homeschools. There's a new category I just heard about called micro schools. It's where, uh, and, and I'm giving you a, a layman's term because I honestly don't know a ton about it. I'm just starting to hear about it. But it's where a group of families, you know, maybe 40 or 50 families in a community have decided that public school isn't for them. They want a private school. There's teachers that don't want the limitations of the public school or working for a private school. And so they sort of become independent of schools, but they're accredited teachers. So they, you know, they have the skills to teach the basic curriculum and maybe they're allowed a little more creativity in these micro schools. They can do maybe more field trips or something like that. So it looks a little more like homeschooling, but it's with potentially even certified teachers. Now, I don't know a ton about micro, the micro school thing, but that's the gist of what I'm picking up. However, Private schools, they've been around for, you know, a hundred years or more. Like we, we've just, we've just had them for a long time. And those private schools are going to be schools that have some sort of core belief system. 
Not all is it, not all of them are going to be religious. I should also caveat: there's there is another option. There's these uh, alternative schools. Um, what are they called? Charter schools. Charter schools they function a lot like private schools. They have a core belief system that maybe differs slightly from the public schools in their community, and they they're able to get funding. However, they run more like pr- the public school system because for the most part, and this isn't true to, to all of them, but for the most part, anybody that takes government assistance, in other words, f- money from the government to function their uh, agency, their program, their school, are going to have to uh, subscribe to some of the ideologies that the government establishes. And so... Uh, I'm going to go ahead and set the charter schools into more of the public school model, although they are significantly different in practice. There's this underlying tone that has some similarities in a lot of cases. Now, I'm sure some of you out there are going to be like, oh my gosh, you just don't know what you're talking about. I'm giving you the picture as I see it come into my office. So please keep that in mind. You know, when I see charter school kids, their, their belief system in their school may be different. But fundamentally, they're they're running similar to the public school system. Uh, they just have a different approach usually, but the same sort of concepts. All right. The private school is, you know, in, in the private school industry, what we're looking at is that they have a belief system and a system of uh, operation that would be usually significantly different. Most private schools that I'm aware of are religious based, but they don't have to be. You could be a private school without having a religious affiliation. It just doesn't. I don't think that it happens very often based on what I see. Uh, And then the homeschool. Homeschool is picking up a lot of momentum. And why am I talking about homeschooling and private schools and charter schools and micro schools and public schools? Because of what's going on in each of them. So homeschooling has had this weird stigma about it in the past. But for some reason, when the pandemic hit, we had a pretty significant fluctuation of homeschooling. And then when the pandemic has moved on, we are no longer supposedly in the pandemic phase. Homeschooling hasn't disappeared. It hasn't hasn't we haven't seen that uh, recession go that going back on and going returning to the public school that we kind of would have anticipated. There might be some reasons for this that we can talk about. And what I'm looking at is what's going on in the places that they would have returned to. Because if, if there was status quo, everything the same, what we would have expected is that every kid that came out and went to homeschooling returned as soon as the pandemic was over because they were getting the same product that they were getting before. But that's not the case. The product has changed. Over the last couple of years, we have seen an increase in pressure with what we call uh, SEL, social emotional learning. Well, SEL being taught by teachers is unethical and inappropriate. And I think families have figured that out because social emotional learning should be run by professionals like therapists, counselors. And some school districts didn't have the funding to do that. Now, 
some did. And maybe their SEL programs are looking different and maybe maybe even better, maybe worse. I don't know. We don't really know for sure. But what we do know is that there's a lot of schools that are running their SEL program, their social emotional learning program, with teachers. Teachers do not have the background in general to teach social emotional learning. Here's the reason why. This was when I worked in public schools, I saw this front line, saw it right up close. Teachers often take one course on classroom management. Anything beyond that, they have to do on their own. Their degree requirements require one course on classroom management, which means there's one course that touches on social emotional learning, one potentially. The problem with that is you put a person who with no expertise in charge of social emotional learning and you've got a major problem. That is one of the main reasons I think that public schools are getting a bad rap. There are people doing things outside of the scope of their training. They may think they're trained because they have more training than anybody else in the building. I took 10 continuing ed credits, which means 10 hours of class on this particular topic. And nobody else in my building has done anything with it. So I come back and I use my 10 hours of training and my books, my notes, all that stuff. And I teach my peers all the things that I learned. That's good. That's good practice. That's what should happen. They go, they learn, they come back, they teach. But 10 hours is not enough to get a look as a, a clinical professional. I had to do 600, 600 hours of direct clinical time just to get my degree. 600 hours. And let's be real. That's not enough. Now, I think it's actually enough because of how we do it. It's enough because post-graduation, we have to do another 1,000 hours supervised. That means we're doing 1,600 to 2,000 hours minimum before we are licensed fully. That's a big deal. And we're saying a teacher that's gone to a 10-hour or or even a three-day seminar, maybe they got three days, that's 16, 24 hours, 24 hours. Let's say it was all SEL. And they go back and they're going to be the teachers of the SEL, the leaders of SEL. It's not sufficient. We either need to prepare them better or bring in people who have professional experience in that type of arena. That's, I think, part of the problem. With private schools, the biggest issue there, it's money. It takes a lot of money to put a kid into private school. So you're not going to see a massive fluctuation because it's going to be the kids who have parents that either make more money or, uh, you know, inherit money or, or, or you know, they, they have to have the money to spend in order to send their kids to private school. With homeschooling, those obstacles aren't there. I've heard the argument about homeschooling is, you know, these antisocial or there's, how are your kids going to socialize if you homeschool them, right? When that conversation comes up, my first question becomes, 
well, what are your kids doing? Well, my kids go to school. What else do your kids do? Well, my kids, they play soccer, they play baseball, softball, they play basketball. They, what do my kids do? If I'm homeschooling, I can still have them play those sports. Matter of fact, we have the legal right to have those kids, the same kids that are homeschooled, participate in all of those other social activities through the school at no cost. We don't have to pay any more than anybody else for that right. And so if they want to play a sport in school, they want to participate in a club at the school, they have the right to do that. And I think, I don't know if this is right, but I I think it's possible more families have figured out that they can homeschool and still take advantage of those socializing and those athletic opportunities while still giving their kid the chance to do school in a way that's unique for them and allows them the opportunity to excel. I'm going to go a little bit personal on this one, and I want to explain. I have a couple of children. I have one we had to hide the newspaper from when she was, gosh, she must have been less than four, like three or four. It was ridiculous. She was reading. She was reading like chapter books. I have another at home that didn't even want to read until she was, I don't know, maybe seven, eight-ish. Both are incredibly intelligent. Both read far beyond their, their, the school uh, suggestions. And one of them is 11, started at seven or eight. I'm saying that because the uniqueness of each kid, if they're forced to follow this status quo, can actually hinder their progress. My my daughter, who didn't start really wanting to read until seven or eight, would have likely been put in special ed courses because she didn't want to do it. And then at the end, she would have been convinced probably that she wasn't very smart. But in fact, she's incredibly intelligent. And that same child is very good at math, and the other one, not so much. And it's okay. They're unique in that way. So one might be a mathematician. The other one might be a writer. or I don't know. But at the end of the day, because we were able to, like can be more easily done in a homeschool situation, cater to their uniqueness because we only had one, two students in the home at a time. One of them was homeschooled, decided she wanted to go to school in middle school. She went to school. For us, that was a decision we made. Many people would disagree with that. That's fine. But for us, we knew that we had built a foundation there and that she was going to do fine. And she did excellent. She's doing excellent. The other one, much younger, still doesn't want to go to school. Let me tell you the re- part of the reason why. They like to go out and do things. My children, uh, partly because of me and my wife, I know they you know they're a product of some of the culture that we have created. But they want to go hiking. They want to go up to the mountain. They want to play in the snow. They want to play in the lake. They don't want the limitations that sometimes come with the schedule of a school. And what we found is that when we do homeschooling, it allows us that flexibility. Now this isn't uh you know a, a ploy to get you, get all of you to go do homeschooling. I think for some kids, that's probably not what's best for them. 
For some kids, they need that that school type structure. And to be honest, the main reason not to homeschool, in my opinion, is if you're a parent that just can't do it well. If you got to know your limits as a parent. Okay. So if that's what's going on in each of them, I guess the big question that comes to my mind is, because I always try to make sure I take a clinical look, is what is best for your child and your family? That's the question. That's really the only question I think there is for each of you. What is best for your child and your family? Now, I think there are some things that could happen socially to take some of this burden that is called homeschooling or private schooling off. And I really do think that the only way we can go about that is, you know, each of you get active on education in your own community because education really is, it, it does have this tendency to be run at the local level. You know, one school is not the same as another is not the same as another, but if we could treat your family as unique and educate them to their potential, I think what we would end up with is really amazing artists, really amazing mu- musicians, really amazing teachers, mathematicians, uh, business folks. I think what we would end up with is maybe a little bit of a better product in the end and product not being that your kids are a product but what we do creates a cultural product of sorts and i think we can make it better if each family and each kid were treated as unique and that can be done in a public school i have seen it is it hard sure are there teachers willing to absolutely are there teachers who won't Absolutely. And that's what you have to weigh. So you really got to look at your own situation. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and leave you. Again, this is one of those topics, more questions than answers, but my hope is you're asking the questions. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.